live as one of them. Discover where your strength and power are needed, but always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. They can be a great people, but they only lack the light to show the way. For this reason above all, I have sent them you, my only son. I was an orphan. I grew up in Pennsylvania in a whorehouse. I read about Milton Hershey and his school in Coronet Magazine or some other crap that the girls left by the toilet. And I read that some orphans had a different life there. I could picture it. I dreamt of it, of being wanted. Because the woman who was forced to raise me would look at me every day like she hoped I would disappear. Closest thing I got to feeling wanted was from a girl who made me go through her John's pockets while they screwed. If I collected more than a dollar, she'd buy me a Hershey bar, and I would eat it alone in my room with great ceremony, feeling like a normal kid. It said sweet on the package, and it was the only sweet thing in my life. It's incredible what passes for heroism these days. I'd like ticker tape for pulling out of my driveway and going around the block three times. Some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients of a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. I'm here to fight for truth and justice and the American way. I'm Peggy Olson and I want to smoke marijuana. We're conquistadors. I'm Vesco da Gama and you're some other Mexican. We're going to land there and buy whatever they've got for the beads in our pockets. Our biggest challenge is to not get syphilis. You're happy because you're successful, for now. But what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness. You're born alone and you die alone, and this world just drops a bunch of rules on top of you to make you forget those facts. But I never forget. I'm living like there's no tomorrow, because there isn't one. What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons. You were a disaster. We did you a favor. The man who talked to Hershey. I've seen that man wandering the streets with a sandwich board saying the end is near. One minute, you're on top of the world. The next, some secretary's running you over with the lawnmower. Hello and good morning. I'm William Morgan, and I swear to God I'm a madman. In fact, we're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad, because this is 42 Minutes, a production of Sync Book Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is 69, dudes. That is June 9th in the year of our GOAT 2015 and this is our 188th broadcast. Since it's summer, we are going to spice things up by doing a 42 minutes always record crossover just like any comic book would with a panel of madmen on the real thing but i thought crossing the streams was bad egon hello doug here in 42 minutes today and then some we're headed to madison avenue and big sur and we're doing so with some of the brightest minds in the sync community today our panel of madmen includes Jason Horsley, author and host of the Liminalist podcast. Andras Jones, author and creator of Radio 8 Ball. Bill Klaus, synchronist and creator of Always Record. David Plate, artist and host of Always Record. And Patrick Zvek, synchronist and videographer. And today with these gentlemen, we'll get to the bottom of just what it was that transfixed consciousness for the past eight years. Hi guys, how are you all doing? Hi. 
What up? Hello. Woke up five minutes ago, ready to do the show. Woke up ten minutes ago, ready to do the show. <laughs> ready to do the show. Awesome, you know. <laughs> Red five, standing by. <laughs> so is forty-two minutes sixty-nining always record right now? <laughs> Pretty well, much. When you when you say it like that, it is six nine. So yes. <laughs> Let's start with Bill Klaus. Um, Alan has never seen the show. I don't know why, and he might be the only person who's never seen it. Could you walk? Because he's fucking busy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Could you walk us through the past eight years and seven seasons, Bill, and just, uh, you know, give us a sense of what, what it was? What well, was I'll give it? you a sense of what it was uh, from what I saw, from my perspective. I don't know. I guess that's the point of the show. Uh, Dick Whitman is born and uh, goes to war and his life falls apart and uh, shit hits the fan. And the only way out is to steal someone else's identity. Uh, he steals the dog tags off of his, I think a guy he killed, like his sergeant, and he becomes Don Draper, uh, kind of like uh, the survival mechanism of every American. We kind of, uh, we, we reach a point and most of us adopt a secondary identity and we kind of live through that identity in public, but we live as ourselves in our own private world. Uh, the world of advertising seeks to uh, transcend uh, those identities and get you to buy shit, right? So um, uh, you got Dick Whitman slash Don Draper, and uh, he's very good at this dual identity thing. He's the best, right? He's the the king shit, and he works his way up to the top of the advertising game in the late fifties, early sixties. Um, and for me, from that point on, it's all about the call of the Holy Spirit or the Logos, right? It's um, the archetypal wisdom that you can never see, touch, taste, or smell, but we spend our lives working in symbols trying to make you believe that you can touch, taste, buy it, or smell it. And he's really, uh, really good at drawing down the symbols and getting people to feel the warm fuzzies about the you know mundane crap that they buy. Uh, sooner or later, that game that he perfected is bought out by somebody else. It's uh, kind of, they basically watch him and figure out how he does it, and they try to make him, um, uh, what would you say, uh, not important anymore. They, 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 they try to just basically steal his skills, and once he figures out that he can be figured out, he spirals into his past and tries to figure out exactly what the hell is going on in his life. So that's all I got. Okay. Will, how, how many episodes have you seen up to now? I'm pretty close to the end of season two, so whatever. Okay, yes. Um, you got the Babylon? We, yeah, I'm past Babylon, past okay. maiden form. I'm past, like, I'm into what just happened. Oh, uh, his wife's dad just felt her up because he has, like, dementia or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you have a theory that I've heard you on various programs uh inheritance was the last i think the name of the last one it seems like you postulate something and you've done this a couple times could you speak of the futility of madmen i mean so you're this is something that i'd like you to talk about a little bit as another way of introducing us to madmen well i mean it's a it's it's funny 
when you think about it, like, uh, for instance, like the Cuban Missile Crisis, like during that time period, I don't even think that's happening, Mad Men, but I'm just using this as an example. Everybody's scared shitless that it's the end of the world. However, if you watch it from the the point of the timeline that we are now, it's like futile to worry about. Like there's nothing to worry about. And that's what it reminds me of. Every time I watch Mad Men, there's things that happen where you're like a pregnant woman drinking or smoking or everybody smoking or where you're almost like holding your nose bridge because you you realize how bad they're fucking up or how much they don't get it. Kids playing in the back seat without seat belts. Um, that one episode where they're going on a picnic and she just takes all of her trash and beats it out before they get back in the Cadillac. It's certain things in Mad Men make you hold your nose. But what what was interesting to me is you did the write-up for the intro to this show, Douglas, and I opened with a quote I think was from Superman, correct? That's correct. Why did you do that? I've got this whole theory about how Mad Men is basically about Superman. With Peggy Olsen and Don Draper having a name like Clark Kent. Well, let's ask David about Don Draper's cards and the esoteric underpinnings of the show. David, could you talk a little bit about, about why the show... I mean, what was Matthew Weiner, the showrunner, communicating? Well, there's a few things. So every episode ends with the sun card, right? So you have the uh, the conquering child, uh, which suggests, you know... You, if you're looking at it from a Thelemic perspective, you have the crown and conquering child being emphasized at the end of every episode. Uh, there's 78 episodes leading up to season seven, which is the number of cards in a tarot deck. You have that obvious, uh, the reading that uh, Don gets, that Dick gets. Um, there's a whole uh, set of symbolism. I've gone, I've gone over it a lot on Always Record in the past, but you have this Babylon theme throughout. Every episode ends with him falling, uh, suggestive of the uh, collapsing tower. Uh, they equate him with a maypole, uh, and they make it a point subliminally uh, to show him as a maypole. So he's literally a dick. He's named after his father's dick. Uh, when the uh, handmaiden brings the child to the door, you know, she says um, his name's Dick because it just showed you that his mother, who is a prostitute, uh, su- you know, suggesting the Scarlet Woman is a whole thing we could go into there. Uh, but she says, I'm going to boil his father's dick in pig fat. And so you have this whole, you know, unkosher side of the thing. But it's like, it's, it's, it's as if his whole life is him being purified. And uh, that's what I see as like the metaphor for her. Like he is literally his father's dick that's being boiled in pig fat. Which sounds really strange, but if you watch the episode and you pay attention, you're familiar with that symbolism. It seems to be uh, heavily emphasized. Uh, the last season, season seven, was divided into two parts of seven episodes. So you have your 77 there at the end. Um, you know, suggesting the pathway between Chesed and Gevora, uh, the strength, Oz, that literally holds the temple together. And so the temple, in this case, is empire. And so it seems that they're doing everything they can to establish en- en- the empire under an illusory set of, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a manipulative thing. It's not necessarily like the pure empire. There's very little pure about what they're actually doing. It has this whole Bernaysian feel. They themselves are doing advertising and they're manipulating the public, but then they're being manipulated by the films, which becomes more obvious in the final seasons where you'll, you'll take a film, they'll take 
you know, Planet of the Apes or Rosemary's Baby in 2001, and it'll play out in their lives, like they're being affected by it, yet they're the ones who are supposed to be affecting the public, they themselves are being affected as well, so you have this kind of pyramidal thing in terms of media that seems to be happening. Um, I could go on, but that's, that's the basic premise. Okay. Hey, real I, quick, David, season seven was divided into two sections of seven episodes each? Yes. So seven, seven, seven? You're right. And then you have 78 episodes beyond that, which is, like I said, the number of cards in a tarot deck. I mean, his, his outcome is Mercury and Sagittarius. He's got swiftness, right, when he receives that reading. Uh, it's the only card in the uh, small cards that has no figure uh, whatsoever like you know you at least in the aces you'd have like a, a hand or something in the in the rider deck right and so it's like that is that is the one card without a face and he is like he doesn't necessarily have his identity especially at that point who he's receiving the reading from it makes perfect sense um you know i don't think it's an accident that uh you know his his original name is dick and his father's dick is to be boiled in pig fat it's like a curse you know and that seems to be what's what's going on is this whole purification and uh, he's literally draping the dawn. So you have, it's all filmed in real time, too. I mean, they picked an anchor point, and then every season that goes by, a full year has gone by. So you get to watch the kids grow up. You get to watch this whole thing. I, 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 it's just amazing. And the creator's name is Wiener. That's, I mean, right there. I mean, oh, there you go. Right there. Come on. It's, I think it's pronounced Weiner. Um, <laughs> Spelled Wiener. <laughs> Jason, why, why did this show captivate us? And what is it about the 60s that's so enduring, and, and did it speak to you? And if so, you know, what spoke to you? Uh, well, that's a good question for me, because I was just thinking that's kind of why I'm here today, is actually to, to get a better grasp of that intellectually, because you guys have obviously, you know, looked into it with your synchro-mystical magnifying glass, and I haven't really been doing that. I've just been watching it uh, faithfully with my wife, you know, year after year, and just really fascinated by the show and fascinated by not really understanding my own fascination because it seems to me that Mad Men is, is basically a soap opera like it has all the form and the content of a soap opera but uh, it's not about like soap operas about emotional dramas and and although Mad Men is filled with emotional dramas it, it doesn't seem to be about those things and it doesn't even seem to be about the characters per se um, <clears throat> I would say it's a it's a very intuitive show. So I don't necessarily agree with these interpretations that you're throwing out 100%, um, because they may not be consciously intended by by Wiener Weiner or the filmmakers or what have you. But um, <clears throat> there's definitely something there that's mysterious about the show that it's it seems to have been, uh, well. It's, it's the opposite of contrived. Like it seems to be exploring something very profound about human nature and towards, towards the, or the social, maybe socially conditioned nature is probably a more accurate description. Um, and towards the, the end of the last season, I was thinking, uh, this show is about social engineering, right? And this is sure. partly because that's been my interest over the past year or so. I've been getting more and more into social engineering. So... It may be that Mad Men's kind of a mirror in that way. But really, I was thinking, you know, this, this is a soap opera about social engineering. That's, that's the best I can come up with to describe what it is. And then with the final show, in fact, the final moments of the final show, with Esselin and then the Coke commercial, it was like the whole 
thing came together and the penny dropped and I got this green flag. Yeah, this whole show has been about this. Um, <clears throat> so I guess that's kind of a first. I mean, that in itself, it's, uh, I guess it's a kind of revelation of the method thing to use a very old, now old passe term in the conspiracy law, but a TV show uh, about advertising that uh, kind of shows the machinery of that medium while actually employing the medium to do so uh, is, well, I mean, that, that's something, there's something fascinating about that. Andres, could you explain the ending to us? What do you <laughs> think happened? Um, well, the, the ending. Uh, well, I think it's, it's pretty clear, and there's been a lot of stuff that's written about it, that Don, after his at the end of his long, long journey to either to escape uh, being, I mean, it's funny when, uh, uh, when Bill was talking about how Don creates this thing that then the, the big company McCann Erickson comes in and purchases, it made me think that actually, oh, well, he makes, he's struggling with having made himself the ultimate product. And then not wanting to be it. Even the reason he leaves McCann Erickson to go on his quest, he's in. He's sitting in that meeting, and they're talking about sort of the game that he created. But he's there with a bunch of other guys in suits, and he looks out the window and he sees the plane going by, and you just see he's like, "Well, I don't want to. I'm not going to be a product." Was that guy kind of giving a Don Draper speech too? Uh, a really bad, yeah, you know. A really bad version, an uninspired corporate version of his speech, of a Don Draper type speech. He's supposed to be in front of the room, but he's not. And so he goes on this quest, and his quest is, you know, is speaking from the soap opera thing. It's hilarious. Like all of a sudden, he's he's racing, you know, supercars in the desert, <laughs> and then fixing Coca Cola machines, and you know, being like he's like it's like like three episodes of Kung Fu. He's just, he's in it. Every time <laughs> yeah, he's totally. Newtown, like solving <laughs> problems, or in this case, not solving problems, but, uh, and then he ends up at Esalen, which they never actually say it's Esalen. They, what we know it's Esalen because we know it. Right. Um, and because it's, it, it has to be. And the other tease there is that Throughout the whole series, I think a lot of us have been waiting for Manson to jump out of the box, and he never does. Like, we, uh, Weiner plays a lot with uh, the Sharon Tate imagery and all that, but we only, and all we get is at the beginning, the girl who looks like the woman from the pet, from the, uh, the Coke commercial, drops the Charlie Manson name and says, when uh, Don Draper wants to, he gets stuck there and he wants to hitchhike home, and he's like, well, you're not going to get picked up. Thank you, Charlie Manson. Well, they give it to uh, you with the Rosemary's Baby advertisement. Oh, so yeah. When they're all it up with the conspiracy and they're presenting it, like, there's a huge, yeah, communication well, there. there about that. But well, still, but, still. Just, just, yet, to, just to point out a, a little conspiracy theory here, I mean, Jan Irving would understand the connection between Manson and, and Big Sur as well, though. Sure. Is anybody watching Aquarius? Uh, what, the, the, can I, this is where, oh, yeah, this is where please. I was going. So they never really give you the, they don't actually, Manson doesn't come out of the box the way I thought it would. I thought that something, you know, that's, that it was, that something in the Manson world was actually going to touch on 
the Mad Men world, but it only did the only way it did was to keep Don from being able to hitchhike as far as the show was in uh, in text. Yeah, contextually, it's all around it. But in in the actual text, Manson makes no appearance other than on the lips of the the Coke girl, basically, because what ends up happening, Don, who is trying to avoid becoming commodified, ends up in an encounter group after being deserted at Esalen and sees this guy give a speech about feeling like he's inside he's a commodity he's inside the refrigerator and people are opening it up and looking for something good and they take something else out and close the door and it leads to this big emotional this if it was a soap opera that would be the climax when don realizes what he's done and that he you know he has this connection with his inner self and then is reborn and comes back as a human being but instead because he's the villain of the piece he takes this information and goes and gets himself well at Esalen he's doing yoga he's taking care of himself and then in the last iconic shot he has that little twinkle in his eye a little smirk that comes over his face and then we see the classic coke commercial from the early 70s um which was actually created by a McCann Erickson ad executive. Interestingly enough, a black guy who used to work for Motown, who I read a really interesting article about Mad Men saying that one of the conceits of Mad Men is that it was such a racist and sexist time that a black guy couldn't rise up through the ranks of McCann Erickson. But in fact, the true story was that the guy who was the Don Draper of you know, in ter- at least in terms of that story, was not uh, wasn't the white superhero, this white Superman that Don Draper is, but was actually a black man. Um, and again, does that something Weiner know? I mean, the, the, we're back in the realm of synchromysticism where we're going to be asking a lot of questions of like, what was intentional and what wasn't intentional. What about Peg, man? We gotta get let Patrick speak. Hey, Patrick. Oh, so, shit. do you want to speak to the Charlie Manson a bit, or anything else we missed? Um, I found it interesting that they were obsessed with the Charles Whitman murders at one point, and yeah. um, uh, several other serial killings in the '60s. And um, I found it interesting that uh, Madchen Amick from Twin Peaks played. Um, Don's ex-lover, who he dreamed that he killed and shoved under the bed. And mm-hmm. in the very next scene, it cuts to um, Sally sleeping under the couch. Um, there seemed to be a sort of a creepy parallel there that maybe they're foreshadowing some murders that may take place in the future, but as Andra said, never did. And I just found um, that whole Charles Whitman coincidence... Uh, a little heavy-handed, but ended up not being much in the in the uh, final run of things. Are you watching the TV show Aquarius? Um, no, but I would like to at some point. I think it's all so, online at this I point. All, I watched all twelve episodes in preparation for this because I do think that's sort of. I think that Aquarius is giving us the thing, like, is sort of going over the top on the thing that Matthew Weiner denied us. And if you watch mm-hmm. the show, it's definitely inspired. I mean, everything's going to be inspired by Mad Men, any period piece. But it's very, 
very inspired by Mad Men, but I have to say, having watched it all, I mean, it's it's eye candy and it's fun to watch, but it's also sort of classic Fox kind of TV. They're doing they're doing the present issues masked in in the '60s. So they have like all kinds. They have police brutality stuff. They have civic unrest. There's. Uh, is it worth our time? I've started. I'm like three quarters of the way through the first episode, and I think it's totally worth your time, especially if you can watch it with a synchronistic eye. I mean, and then the question is, the larger question that I, you know, I don't think we have to ask as much with Mad Men, but we do with with a show like Aquarius. Is you know, if Charlie Manson was a psyop, then he's a, he's still a psyop now. And why are why is this story? Why is the Manson story being shown to us now? And why right. are we getting the particular Manson war or yeah, told Man- to us for the thirty seventh time? My God, yeah, how many times can we buy this? Right, right, exactly. Totally. Um, which is in PR case, in the first place, which is a fucking advertisement. Yeah, I mean, come well, on. he was yeah, he was a bad advertisement for. The going off the grid of his time, right? Sure. So, so yeah. Didn't the, do you guys notice that like the first episode is like is all about Peggy's first day at the office? And yeah, that's her show. The final episode is like her like being the fucking conquering child, and so you you have like this. Um, she is the peg. Like from a synchromistic perspective, I'm like bring Jake in here because like. That's total, like, she is the, she's the Winnipeg of the show. She's Samek. <laughs> you know, she's, and I, I was relating the whole thing to, like, the Samek ritual, you know, with Crowley, where, you know, the story goes, as far as I know, is that he started this ritual to bring to call down the Holy Guardian Angel, took this long break because he supposedly got, like, a phone call from Israel Agarde, disappeared, went and visited him, took him years before he ever got back to finishing the ritual. You could take that almost like the whole, like, uh, the process that Don Draper goes through is almost like he's he's setting out to do this thing. He's, like, trying to purify, but it's this long-winded, like, a roundabout way of it, you know? It, it reminded me of the, of the Crowley thing. I was just also- talking to Andros last night about how the whole show is basically about how... Draper changes who Peggy is. It's all yeah. about Peggy. The whole thing's about Peggy and how her life is dictated by dictated. being Don Don Drapered. I wanted to just tell you, I, I looked up the guy's name who created that co-commercial. He's another alliteration. We got Bill Backer. Bill Backer, Don Draper is based, you know, at least at the end of the show, is based upon Bill Backer. DDMBD. Douglas, what was what with the Superman stuff? I'll give you. Osiris my is a black god, right? Right. His car. So, <laughs> so with Don the Draper's uh, counterpart <laughs> in reality is a black god on some level. Sure. He found his dick, or he found know. his dick. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. What about the characters? I want to know about the characters speaking to like an American identity and like the loss of innocence. Does that figure into this? Say that again? This idea of Dawn lacking a, an authentic identity, mm-hmm. that's why Will, like Superman, uh, Dick Whitman is you know his true identity. 
But Don Draper is like, that's when he's Superman. But his superpower is seduction. That's it. He can get women. Right. No, no. He seduces that. No, that's he doesn't just seduce women. He seduces everybody. That's true. I mean, so every- he's a salesman. But then how does that speak to the American identity? The one identity? person he can't seduce is uh, his daughter, Sally. Right. <laughs> On some level, because it's true. On so many, shit. no, on so many levels, he's not into it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, she oh, she's true, Emma. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Just saying that she sees through him. Um. Yeah, and the the whole thing that I wanted to say because we don't have much time, I guess, is is that uh, Don Draper, Dick. Is mother bonded. It's a mother bondage thing for me. Like he, he's raised by his mother. His father is non-existent, um, and that plays out through the whole show with his alcohol addiction and his addiction to women. Like he's constantly chasing after one woman or another. That that's Draper's addiction. He's trying to get back to mummy, and then in the in the final uh, shows, the the father comes hunting for him. The bad father. Like the, the, you know, the head of the, the advertising company that eats up Don Draper and commodifies him, and that in the in the the third to the last show, that very dark show with the scene between that guy and and Joan, basically we see him his contempt for the feminine. I don't know the guy's name. Does anyone know the, that guy's name? The advertising mafia head guy. Hobart. Oh, I don't know. Don Hobart. Oh, the, yeah, the mechanic. It's the same guy, the McCann Erickson guy. That guy, yeah. yeah and then so also for Don, also his arm, the army, the scene where he meets up with the old army guys. Yeah. You think he steals the money? Like that's another bad father situation. Like he thinks that he can trust these people, but he can't. Yeah. Like the father rejects, like basically fools him. And the, I mean, the stealing of the, his. Uh, generals, whatever it is, his superior's identity in the army, that's the Oedipus thing, right? Right, well, it's all the way throughout, right? I couldn't agree with you more on the looking for his his mother aspect, but I just take that that also that he's he's looking for, you're looking for reconcilement within his own being, I mean, that's what he's trying to do, but the whole thing is that he's looking for his Scarlet Woman instead of his Shakina, because it's like the whole, it's like he's steeped in the cleat boat, and that's what the boiling is about, is it's like it's his own the whole thing centers around his purification i think we could at least agree on that um but what i see is that he's looking for a uh substitute of who he associates with with his mother he's not looking for um the the cleansing but that's what he gets when he sees what this doesn't have to offer him so it's like how many times does it take him to go through it which is you know it's trying try, like you could take that on uh, as america as a whole too it's like we're all uh troubleshooting here like it's the only way we progress you know are, so are we lost and empty then absolutely 100 yeah yeah because what we're I, I think it's on everyone's mind but it hasn't been explicitly stated is that uh mad men if you flip the initials over uh mm you get ww I mean, this whole show takes place in the shockwave of World War One and World War Two, and the effects of uh, Doug. You said, "Is this show about the loss of innocence?" Uh, World War One and World War Two were the loss of innocence, uh, but then everyone went scrambling to find it again, and you know, 
you know, lose themselves in innocence again. That's the whole image of the 50s and the perfect family on TV. But what Draper realizes is, is that this age isn't about the loss of innocence. It's about the dissolution of innocence because our innocence is really just uh, a blanket we throw around our ego, right? And so this cat is, he's going through ego loss and dissolution, but like the hard way. <laughs> right. You know, Sterling does it the easy way. Uh, Sterling is a nice counterpart to uh, Draper. He's kind of out of the fray. He's so far beyond World War II. He saw so much from World War II that he's already been through the dissolution of innocence. You know what I mean? He's just a game player. But Draper sees that and sort of backs off. Um, the, the, the thing is, is that do we believe that he was successful or that this dissolution of ego uh, didn't uh, mask itself with him running right back to the teat? You know what I mean? And... Um, I think that if you start the show, the first thing you see is cigarettes, right? He's going to sell you cigarettes. It's an oral fixation. And at the end, he's going to sell you Coke. It's an oral fixation. Sure. So the whole uh, happiness about that final ad, if you just replace one letter or two letters, you go, instead of I'd like to buy the world a uh, Coke and say I'd like to buy the world a smoke, you realize that Draper has just gone right back to the beginning of the show. He really hasn't progressed anywhere. He's still selling poison. He just has found a, a way to do it in a way that makes him feel less guilty. Or, or well, he, he, yeah, right? yeah, it's even more pernicious and insidious. So it's not just the, it's not even the dissolution of innocence. It's the commodification of innocence. Yeah, or the reinvention of it. So it's it's um, it's the valus to zebra. You know, it's the uh, computer uh, designed. Uh, it's not the uh, organic. It's um, yeah, it's plastic. Well, there is, I mean, he does have some, there is something that clicks, and I think it goes back to the first <coughs> episode. If you remember in the first episode, there's a, there's, a there's a woman there who could have come right out of Century of the Self, pitching yeah, this absolutely. idea of how you need to, people have a death wish, and you need to speak to that death wish. And he basically throws her research in the in the garbage and says, this is bullshit, right? Which is what he does right up through the last, like, He's saying that at Esalen until he has his until he's so ragged that he has his moment with the the man the guy with the Coke bottle monologue. And I don't know if he actually says he feels like a Coke bottle, but I just feel like that's what he's that's what's happening there. And this is like a dick, right? Right. And so at the end, he he does like he doesn't uh, he does. He isn't saved. He, but he does. Basically, he, he does. Sure he is, dude. He's totally the prodigal die. son. Dude. He's totally he saved. He goes straight Illuminati at the end, is what he but does. He buys well, that. One I, I don't know about that. Selling. He, what I mean, what at the beginning it starts out with him rejecting, like he's chasing after women, but rejecting any of the women who have anything interesting to say that could actually help him, like the psychologist. Uh, or like the woman that he doesn't go for and goes with uh, the actress instead. Mm -hmm. His secretary, like there's this woman who's like, who's uh, who's also in the psychology field, who is their researcher, who they bring in to do that. He, she thinks he's going to end up with her, and then he all of a sudden turns around and marries whatever her name is. I always forget. I always call Megan? her Sharon. Is it Megan? Me yeah. well, and that's interesting because she's French. But not really, and it speaks to identity again. The idea of you know the a great lover, mm -hmm. you know, like a French yeah yeah girl, but she's not really French. She's French Canadian. 
Her mom's the real Frenchie. Well, so the real, so like this is the interesting thing. We're nearing the end to the idea of the real thing, that Coke commercial. Coke is the real thing, right? The real thing. And then we're at Esalen, and what's so fascinating to me is that um, Will and I had Dr. Jeffrey Kripal on, and he did a uh, history of Esalen. And a lot of the stuff that they developed in Esalen became a part of American culture, like yoga and granola and Eastern mysticism. And a lot of this stuff, Joseph Campbell taught lectures there and stuff, and, and the guys who founded it seem like superheroes themselves, like right out of a comic book. But, I mean, so... Well, Kripal, Kripal connects Aslan to X-Men coming up on the other side of the country on the East Coast at the exact same time in 63. Oh, interesting. So he, connect, he connects it to superpowers bottom line. Well, it's, it's, a, Vil, it's a Wilhelm Reichian thing um, all the way. I mean, they, they, they did all kinds of... Uh, I mean, that's one of the big things that they're famous for is incorporating Wilhelm Reich into uh, facilitating practices... Uh, the Oregon and all on all of that. Uh, I don't know. So interesting. I go there. I, I hang out in the hot tubs there sometimes on the on the cliff. The best time is to go during a full moon. Yeah. Douglas, what's up with the Superman stuff? John Draper Superman. I mean, his, totally. He, he, it's the reversed sun card. That's the card that Weiner puts in his cards. Because in the episode Inheritance, when that kid shows up in the Draper's backyard. And what's her name? Betty, Betty Draper. She is sitting with him on the couch going through his uh, comic books. There's this comic book of Superman carrying off Lois Lane. And then later the kid grabs her hand and says, I'm going to save you. Do you know what I mean? Well, Don, his type, he wants a brunette and he wants to rescue him. He wants broken brunettes. Hmm. You know, Lois Lane is an anagram for all is one, and you could also take her as the LL, you know? She has this whole Lilith thing. It's also Oh, it's, go to the sinkhole with that crap. It's it's weird that, like, you know, you have this whole thing with 2001, obviously with the IBM, you know, HAL at the end, uh, and the guy goes crazy, chops off his nipple, you know? Um, but if, you, if you're looking at Superman, Superman takes place in Metropolis, which is supposed to be, like, n- New York City, you know? Uh, the song, as Patrick has pointed out, from the original 80s, Superman is like the same song of Thus Spake Zarathustra, right? Isn't the same notes in the same order just changed slightly, Patrick? Um, yeah, the octaves are changed on that climb and decline, but it's, yeah, it's the same exact notes. Right, and they're the same meaning. So the Ubermesh is Superman, you know? First comic of Superman, he's crashing a freaking Volkswagen uh, Scarab, you know? It's like there's this whole uh, thing that seems to be being communicated there, but it's interesting. Uh, yeah, there's, there's so many... La- the Man of Steel, too. Talk, talk about identity. He's a Canadian Jew. John right. Ham? No, Superman. The Man Superman of Steel. was created by Jews, yeah. I mean, that's, there's a and whole were, thing I there. I think they were in Toronto. They weren't in you know, New York. Right, but the joke of the whole thing, that you're like, oh, this is, like, Superman was very patriotic in a way that this is a statement, because the first people to drive Volkswagen Beetles were, you know, uh, German... Uh, um, you know, the high-ranking officers. It was you know, the Volkscar! The right, car. But, but the joke is that it's America. Because America is the same fucking thing. I'm sorry. But, like, you look at Project Paperclip and all this shit, and it's like, dude, it's all insidious, and it's like, no, this is, this is a continuation of the same the same deal in many respects. It's just, I don't know, that's, that, a lot of people probably wouldn't agree with that. But, like, when I, when I look at 
madman. I look at all these levels of manipulating the public. It just reminds me of like, th this is what's happening in the advertising industry, but this is what's happening everywhere. This is what's happening in politics. This is what's happening in film. And they just got, they're like compartmentalized. They're like, they were this one thing, but really the same thing is happening everywhere. And it's just PR. It's just this Bernaysian thing. And they, they hardly mentioned PR in the show, even though, but one of the big ones, man, was the Babylon episode with the Israeli woman asking Don to contribute to the state of Israel to spin the story on, you know, uh, and at the time, I mean, there's this whole, you know, Zionism thing that gets introduced there. But like that episode ends with the two pillars, you know, and it's really like, I mean, that's not too subliminal. I mean, it was pretty direct. And they that play the Israeli lady the Babylon. Well, and they, and they definitely, they do get into the public relations thing. I mean, in the first, at the end of the first season, they get the Nixon campaign, right? Right. I mean, right. what's happening is just, I'm saying, like, you, you're talking about Century of the Self, which just lays it out for you and explains it to you. This one's more like, it doesn't, it has a, from what I gather, it has a lot of esoteric shit all over the place in all kinds of different ways, but they don't spell it out for you through any oftentimes through anything but subliminal so, and which is what the advertising industry is so it's like more of the same it's like a challenge it's like challenging the viewer to uh you know uh recognize what's what's being communicated it's not doing it for you that's why i like it it's like a kubrick film in that way okay so we are definitely going to continue the conversation because we haven't talked about empire and that's like the elephant in the room um we're just about out of time. Let's just go real fast and get any closing thoughts from everyone. Bill, closing thought. You're telling me that Superman was a Jew from Canada, from Toronto? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm telling okay. you. Well, Marshall McLuhan is from Toronto. He's Canadian. And all of McLuhan is threaded throughout uh, Mad Men. Even in the first season, uh, Joan says the medium is the message, you know? So the Scarlet true. Woman delivers the logos of that age, of what they were figuring gearing out so uh, uh, we lost it andros closing so, thought. so so bill klaus is cia andros close <laughs> <laughs> my mind that um you know superman is a yeah andros do you have a closing thought uh just you know to, to if if matthew weiner ha is the you know if he's in part creating this consciously and also potentially being synced up with these themes, it might be interesting for people to go back and look at first The Sopranos, which you can see uh, Tony Soprano and Don Draper as being similar archetypes, and then a film, a show called Becker with um, Ted, uh, with the uh, Cheers guy, Ted yep. Danson. Which uh, I think that might be really interesting to go back and see. That was that was Matthew Weiner's first series. It I think it was only a season, maybe two, and it's all about this guy who's just a total asshole. Who you know, it, it's a completely unlikable lead to a TV sitcom, which is very interesting. Again, if we think of that as Don Draper, Tony Soprano, another really interesting archetype to go look at. Patrick, closing thought? Um, I'd just like to say it's a very masterfully crafted show on every level, and I think um, anyone can get something out of it. I highly recommend it. Uh, Jason? Yeah, uh, social engineering is uh, religious engineering, is spiritual engineering, is synchromystical engineering. Uh, this, this is 
the thing that shows at the end, I think, is that Esalen is and those kind of things are selling enlightenment, but what they're actually giving is is cities. So it's this conflation of the spiritual path with the will to power, and that's why Draper's supposed uh, liberation is really the opposite of that. He's he's been co-opted, I'd say. So that's my final thought there. We'll leave it there. That was 42 minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, everybody just say you're welcome all at the same time. Just do it. You're welcome. <laughs> You've been listening to a panel of Mad Men on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about the work of this panel can be found in our show's notes at 42minutes.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like the podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archives, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the host. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and Mother Son, we greet you and are thankful for the sweetness of the earth. The new day brings new hope. The lives we've led, the lives we've yet to lead, a new day, new ideas, a new you.